If you only had 24 hours left to live on this earth, what would you do? Belshazzar chose to live his last day in defiance of God and God's word. In a state of denial, thinking he had more time. And as a result of his decision, it cost him everything. And I want you to look in the book of Daniel now, chapter 5, and talk about the last night of a nation. Daniel chapter 5. I preached this passage of scripture before, used the same title, and just went all new and new research and everything. So um, I, I don't know why I do that to myself, but I, I do. As long as I've been preaching, I have enough sermons in the hopper that I would never have to prepare again. I could preach the rest of my days and I just can hardly bring myself to do that. And um, so I go through the labor of preparing. It's good for my soul and it's good for you. There's nothing sinful about preaching a sermon again. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, the Lord just always puts in my heart and life a curiosity to know more. And uh, so I hope that that's also something that has been ignited in your life and your heart since I've been your pastor because I want us to know God and know him better. Now let's look at the first four verses of this fifth chapter. Um, Before I jump into this, maybe just a sidebar that has nothing to do with preaching. I wanted to just um, say I was appreciative of the folks doing the uh, singing part of our worship service today. And um, some of our young guys are up here doing that. And there are a couple of dynamics that are three really that are going on. Number one, Pastor Dan's willingness to train people. And he's doing that working uh, feverishly. Secondly, the willingness of our younger folks to just step in there and uh, use their talents and their abilities for the glory of Jesus, which I appreciate immensely. And then thirdly is the humility of some of our more let's call seasoned uh, members of our praise ministry that are willing to give way to step aside some Sundays and let other people have a chance so that we can build the depth of that ministry and not having it hinge on five people all the time. And so uh, all of that's working together well and I appreciate uh, Pastor Dan's leadership but also the willingness of those who are involved. Uh, They don't just get up here on Sunday and do this. There's practice time in this. And it takes practice, takes time, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful f- for, for that, okay? Um, so, um, and you know, Dave Brown is just gloating and smiling, his son playing the keys and his wife singing and all of that, but anyways. So anyway, thankful for, for your all, uh, bless- it's a blessing to everybody. So let's look at, first of all, the rebellion against God's reign, verses 1 through 4 of the 5th chapter of Daniel. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. 
So this rebellion against God's reign, uh, Belshazzar is actually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. His father, Nabonidus, is the really the king, but Belshazzar's father had decided that he didn't like uh, the god of Babylon, Marduk. He preferred one that uh, was from Saudi Arabia, so he had moved down to that area of the world and appointed uh, Belshazzar, his son, to be king in his stead. Now, Nabonidus had the last say in everything, of course, but uh, he was letting his son uh, do the leading and the reigning in Babylon at this time. Now, the first thing that we will note about Belshazzar is his dismissing the warnings of God. It says that King Belshazzar made a great feast. Now, we know that uh, Belshazzar would have been aware of Nebuchadnezzar's experiences with the Most High God. And we would note that he knew all of those stories and he knew those things. But he had chosen to dismiss all of these warnings. Not only that, the book of Jeremiah in chapter 51 had detailed the things that would happen to Babylon. Uh, Daniel was aware of that because we have him quoting or referring to, to Jeremiah a few times in the book of Daniel. And undoubtedly, Daniel had made known to uh, Belshazzar, as he could, what Jeremiah had said. The book of Isaiah had predicted and prophesied 200 years before this event that one named Cyrus from Persia is going to come and overthrow Babylon. You see, Daniel is a pivotal book in the, in the Bible. It's pivotal. And, and, and here's one of the things it drives liberals and unbelievers crazy. Before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the liberals, and they, some people call themselves liberal Christians, I'd call them lost. But they would say that Daniel had written these things after the events took place. There's no prophecy in Daniel. It's just Daniel writing down things that he observed. And they also did the same thing, the book of Isaiah then. Hinging off of Daniel, they would say, well, then Isaiah did the same thing. The problem came when the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls squarely placed the date of the book of Daniel exactly when biblical scholars said that it would be and that it actually is a prophecy of what would take place. Putting Isaiah back in his place where he belongs in, in uh, 600 or so. And so a uh, hundred years before Cyrus was even born... Isaiah prophesied that one named Cyrus would come and overthrow Babylon. Belshazzar chose to dismiss all of this. He had heard things from the Bible, but he chose not to believe it. Until the middle of the 1800s, as a matter of fact, there was no concrete evidence that verified the existence of Belshazzar. Again, the liberals, and they have words like liberal scholars, and those two words, that's an oxymoron. Those can't go together. You can't be liberal and a scholar. Scholars take the evidence and let it form their understanding. Liberals take their understanding and try to twist the evidence. 
So it's not scholarship. And so until the late 1800s, there was no concrete evidence that Belshazzar even existed. And again, people would point to this as Daniel being a book that's inaccurate, a flawed work, an allegory, all kinds of things. However, we find that evidence does come to light in history. It demonstrates that Belshazzar indeed did exist in the 1800s. In fact, when Belshazzar promises to make anyone who interprets his dream the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, why the third ruler? Why not second in command? Well, it's historically accurate because Belshazzar's father, Nabonidus, was first in the kingdom. Belshazzar was second. All that Belshazzar could promise was third in the kingdom. And so what we find is this. It's really nice when human research finally catches up to the Bible. Jeremiah had warned. Daniel had preached. Now Darius the Mede who was appointed by Cyrus was surrounding Babylon. Cyrus was at the gates. But Belshazzar trusted in his gods. He ignored the word of God. The evidence was right outside his gate. But he was behind the impenetrable walls of Babylon. Babylon, a portion of the city, had walls that were 21 feet thick. And in front of that wall was a wide military road where all of the military could gather. And then there's an outer wall that's 12 feet thick. You've heard the Ishtar gates. The gate posts are 40 feet high. There is a large moat around this part of Babylon. 200 feet wide. Fed by the Euphrates River. And so Belshazzar continues to trust in his greatness. And the glitter and the glam of Babylon. And the all of the gods that he has trusted in. That have fed into his hands. The defeat of all surrounding gods. Including the God called Yahweh. They're all in his hands. And he's going to prove it. He's going to prove it. He is going to degrade the worship of God now. And so what does he do? He calls for the vessels of gold and silver, the cups and the utensils that were in the temple of Jerusalem, the ones that Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple. But Nebuchadnezzar never defiled these items like Belshazzar is getting ready to. And so he takes the very elements and the very furniture from the temple of the holy God, the most high God, Yahweh God, and he takes these and he distributes. He has this huge crowd of people and he's raising his cup and he's mocking God. Here's your God, people. Gold and silver. This is your God. And so he toasts himself to his own demise. His tactic here is to show that his gods were greater than the God of Israel. And all of this silly talk about the prophecy from Yahweh God through his prophets is, is idiocy. And he would not heed the warnings and 
Instead, he's going to degrade the worship of the living God. And here's what we find in our lives and in everyone's life. It's still the same. You do not get away with degrading and defaming God. You don't make a spectacle of God and get away with it. And so rebellion against God's reign. Then you see the revelation of God's response. God is no longer silent. Now look in verse 5 and following. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. The king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly. See, he's screaming like a little girl now. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The revelation of God's response, you see the appearance of the hand there. The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. Now some of you know the colloquialism, the handwriting on the wall. You hear that everywhere. Well, it's from the Bible. And here's where it's from. And what does it mean? It means that judgment is imminent. That consequences are unavoidable. And they are coming. And so this hand appears. Now, we don't know the exact size of this party hall that they were in. But archaeology has shown us that it was at least as big as a football field. That's a pretty large fellowship hall, y'all. And so he's got this thing filled with people. Now, the kings of Babylon normally did not feast with other people. They considered it to be some kind of status symbol if you could feast by yourself. So Belshazzar here wants to make mockery. He wants to make sport of God. And so he does. And so God's response is, I've got a message for you. And so this appearance of a human hand and writes on the wall and it's, it's a wall that's lit up. It's next to the lampstand. And so you can see the writing there on the wall. Now the response to this revelation, the appearance of the hand is what you see next. You see the anxiety of the king in verses 6 through 9. You see now the king who was all bold, now he's alarmed. His limbs give way, his, his, we, his knees are knocking together and he's crying out like a little girl, somebody help me. Belshazzar, the great king of Babylon, the largest nation in the world, the most powerful man to exist in humanity at that time, and now he's cowering. Where's all your bravado now, Belshazzar? Where are all your worshipers? Where are your people bowing down? Where are the answers that you could get? From the intelligent institutes of wisdom. All the learning that you've had. All the culture that you've got. The vast amount of wealth. Where is it all now Belshazzar? 
And so in his anxiety, he calls for his enchanters. You see his desperation. Bring in, he says, the enchanters. This is the best he's got. He's going to go to New Orleans and find a voodoo woman. It's the best you can do. You're going to get out the newspaper and read your horoscope. You're going to watch some, oh, I know, watch some wacky rerun of Oprah. Is that what you're going to do? And notice he says, the wise men of Babylon. He doesn't say wise men. Wise men of Babylon. And he tells them, if you, anybody can read this writing and tell me it's meaning. Interpretation is the issue. It's written in Hebrew, which is not the language of the people. But these Chaldeans, these people were learned people. So they could read it, but they didn't know its meaning. And he says, whoever can read this, they'll be third in the kingdom. And you're going to be third in the kingdom. You know what this is going to mean? In about 20 hours, you're going to be the third person who loses their head. I wouldn't want it, would you? I know that's okay. You can keep your promotion there. I will take a demotion. So this is him, and he's in a state of desperation. Now, what happens next in God's timing and in God's way of doing things Enter the queen. And notice in verse 10 following the answer of the queen. And the queen says. Because of the words of the king and the lords. Came into the banqueting hall. And the queen declared. O king live forevermore. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom. In whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now... Let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. The answer of the queen is simply this. There is a man in your kingdom. You see, when the king called for all the enchanters and the charlatans and all of those people who were false, Daniel did not show up with that crowd. Daniel always maintained his distinction. He had been educated in all of that malarkey. He knew it all. He knew the same things that they knew. He was marched through the paces of the schooling that these guys had. But Daniel never swallowed all of that vomit. Daniel maintained his dignity. Daniel maintained his worship. Daniel maintained his study of the word of God. And when the king would call for the wise men of Babylon, Daniel wouldn't show up. He did that to Nebuchadnezzar and he does it to Belshazzar as well. He's sending a message. I'm not like one of them. In fact, Belshazzar, it appears, didn't even know who Daniel was. That Daniel didn't just hang around the courts and decided that he liked the promotion. He liked being around power. Daniel kept himself separate from all of that. And so Belshazzar didn't know who this Daniel was. 
Something else that we observe here about Daniel is throughout the book of Daniel, he never loses his name. This is important. It's significant. The naming of someone, they named him. Nebuchadnezzar named Daniel after the gods of Babylon. Again, part of that enculturation. Enculturating them. You see that today among athletes. They take on an Islamic name. What they're saying is, I reject the culture here. I embrace a different culture. It's enculturation. And it's the same thing here with Daniel. And they're trying to make him be enculturated. Trying to brainwash him. And make him accept the prevailing culture of Babylon. Which apparently is superior to all other cultures. Because it's wiping everyone else out. And you are to receive this Daniel. And you go back. And Daniel never would. His defiance was, uh, my name's Daniel. And the word Daniel has, as you know, at the end of it, E-L for Elohim, God, the true God. Daniel had a name after the true God of Israel and rejected the name of the false gods of Babylon. And so even to his dying day, even the queen here, Daniel is older now. Daniel's probably at least 50 you remember as a young man, he'd, he'd stood up to the king and, and he just maintained his allegiance to, to God, the God of heaven. And now he's, he's older. He's at least probably 50 years old now. And still, he hasn't changed. He's still called Daniel. And notice it says that even the queen remembered his name is Daniel. Now let Daniel be called And so Daniel stubbornly, this is where he decided, I'm not going to be converted to idolatry. I'll I'll go along with all that I can, but you're not going to turn me into an idolater. My allegiance is to the Lord God. And so she calls, tells the king to call for him. There's a man in your kingdom and Belshazzar evidently had no idea. So the queen does, and so calls for him. And again, we are reminded that she says of him, and the, the, the Babylonians said of him, that he's a person in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. That was their understanding. We know what that means. In him was the spirit of the holy God. Daniel, being indwelled by the spirit of God, was given a kind of wisdom They called it light and understanding and its wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. A different kind of understanding. Able to interpret dreams, had knowledge, explain reals. He could solve problems. There are things that Daniel could do that no one else could do. And so that's the answer of the queen. And so what does the king do? We see that he calls for Daniel. And now in our story here you see the interpretation of God's writing and so now enter Daniel the prophet verse 13 says then Daniel was brought in before the king the king answered and said to Daniel you are that Daniel one of the exiles of Judah whom the king my father brought from Judah I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. 
But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck. It'd be, Daniel would be like a rapper. And shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Now, we find here with Daniel that the prophet is summoned. And what you see about him in this section of the Bible is his reputation. What is known about him? And the king says, I've heard of you. And I've heard that you have this ability. And I've heard that there is something in you that's different from all the other wise men that I have in my kingdom. And if you'll do this for me, I will reward you. And we see again Daniel's reputation here. Take your gifts and shove them. I'm not doing this for pay. I'm not doing this to get something for myself. I'm doing it because I'm a prophet and I must speak. I was appointed for this purpose. And I must speak the truth because God has commanded me to do so. This is not about you, king. This is about the living God. And so this is, Daniel comes in and, and he's going to begin to interpret this dream. And so he sees his reputation. Now the prophet speaks, you know, so he's, he's summoned and now he's going to speak. In verse 17, he tells him, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you the interpretation of the dream. Now look at the rest of it. He says, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was like the wild, was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. And so... And we're looking at how the prophet speaks. This section under his speaking deals with the testimony of God's sovereignty. Daniel speaks of God's work. Here's something I would like to remind you of. And those of you that are in school now. And, and you're a student. And you're required to take world history and American history. And you come out of there saying, I hate history. Man, I hate it. Some of you are adults 
You would rather eat uncooked broccoli than study history. So, I hate history. Let, Let me remind you of something. Perhaps your teacher presented history as just a conglomeration of people and dates that make no sense. And you just have a hard time caring. Or maybe you have a history teacher now that's uh, all up in the politically correct stuff and making sure that we vilify every person that ever walked on this property that got here after 1600. Maybe that's you. I, I don't know. But let me remind you of something. History is not the recording of great human feats. History is the record of the providential work of God among humans. It is God at work. And if you begin to see those things through that lens, you will begin to praise the God of heaven. Even the things that appear appear to be awful things, God is doing something. God is at work. And there is never ever been a step taken by humanity that God has not decreed. God is not a passive being in heaven sitting there just giving people permission to do things because he can't stop it. That is not how God works. God is going to bring The Medes and the Persians against Babylon. The Medes and the Persians are not saved. They're pagan people. And they're going to come and do awful acts of violence. But you know what? It is God who has ordered it. You see? Whatever sins they commit, that's because of the awful sinfulness of man. His prompting in him is to sin. God can work with that or not work with it. It doesn't hinder his plan one bit. There's never been a day when God's plan got off course. God has, he's not like me that I have to redo my to-do list every day. Things I thought I could do, I can't do. And things I wanted to do, somebody wouldn't let me. That never happens to God. This is important, brothers and sisters, because you need to view the world rightly. You must view the world from the perspective of heaven and stop looking at it from the perspective of earth. It makes all the difference in the world. God is at work here. And we have Daniel saying to Belshazzar, you have not been a student of history. You have thought that even the history of Babylon was just a bunch of mindless dates and events. You have failed to understand it's the study of God's providential work among humanity. It shows how God rules the world. It shows His way to His ends. That's how He does it. Belshazzar, you didn't study. And it cost Belshazzar everything. See, because Daniel says of him, You did not humble your heart, though you knew all this. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, we could give him a little bit of a pass. He didn't know anything. He was learning as he went. Belshazzar had the benefit of history. And he could look and say, this is how God works. 
When you defy him and you belittle him, you're going to be brought down. And Belshazzar refused to see that. This principle applies for every ruler. It applies for every nation. It also applies for every individual. We know all this. And we choose to rely upon ourselves and become self-reliant and make the gods of gold and silver and bronze the end of all ends. Our very purpose in life is to see how much of that we can collect. When we do that, we are heading for a fall. And God says here in his word, in his hand is each one of your breaths. Every breath you breathe, it's in his hand. All he has to do to extinguish your life is just close his hand. That simple. And Belshazzar, being drunk with pride and with power, thought that he could override the sovereignty of God. What an idiot. Testimony of his sovereignty. And then here's the announcement of the prophecy. Now look what Daniel says. Daniel says in verse 24. You have not. In verse 23. You didn't honor God. Now then. From his presence. The hand was sent. And this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mine. Mine. Tikel. Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mine. God. Which means numbered. God has numbered the days of your kingdom. And brought it to an end. Verse 27. Tico. You have been weighed in the balances. And found wanting. And then verse 28. Paris. Your kingdom is divided. And given to the Medes. And the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command. And Daniel was clothed with purple. Chain of gold was put around his neck. Proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Well, the testimony of God's sovereignty, the announcement of his prophecy. God here has declared, your kingdom's going to be divided up. As for you, Belshazzar, you've been put in God's balances and weighed. And you're a lightweight. You don't have enough. Your sins are greater than your worth. You lost. And then it's going to be divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. That's God's judgment. It's final. There's no, there's, there's, there's no appeal here. This is the end. It's all over with. Now, what do we find after this? Historically, this is accurate. This is exactly what happens. We see the execution of God's wrath. In verse 29, Belshazzar is given, given the reward that he didn't care about. But Belshazzar wanted to give it. And then verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. The execution of God's wrath. The king is killed. October 29th, 539 B.C., recorded in history, Belshazzar is killed. Just like God said. And then what happens next? The kingdom is captured. Verse 31. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom. Being about 62 years old. He was appointed by Cyrus. Just as, as God 
had said in the book of Isaiah. He had said, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to send Cyrus. He's going to be uh, my shepherd, God even calls him in Isaiah 44 and 45. 200 years prior, God had already named the person that would overthrow Babylon. The execution of God's wrath. What do we learn from this? What, what is the scripture teaching us here? Here's, here's what the scripture is teaching us. Number one. No nation defies God forever and survives. None. Zero. God is the Lord of history. His hand is the one that moves its events. It's not merely human action that causes everything. Human activity is the secondary cause. God is the cause behind the causes. If you want to think of it that way. No nation defies God and lives to tell about it. Secondly, God is not only Lord over kingdoms, but He's also Lord over your lungs. Every breath that is yours is only yours because He gives it. And He will take it when He pleases. I would say this to you, every breath you draw, honor Him. In his hand is your breath. We all have great confidence in research. In the medical field. And we are so thankful in this country especially. That we have all the medical care that we have. And all those opportunities are just its a great blessing. It's indescribable. If you've lived anywhere else. It's, it's hard to even understand how far advanced that we are in this field. But let us never come to the place that we start thinking that the answer lies there and not in the hand of God. The medical field is not going to be able to cause you to live forever. And sometimes, regrettably, they extend your life when you should go on to be with Jesus. So God is the one in charge. We think we are. We think we are. But we're not. Now what does that mean? Does that mean well. God's in charge of my life. So therefore I can just be negligent. Not worry about it. Because God knows how long I'm going to live. Stop being stupid. Just stop it. You are responsible to take. Responsible actions. To be irresponsible is not pleasing to the Lord. To try God all the time. Say, I'm just going to jump off a cliff. That sounds like what Satan tried to tempt Jesus to do. The angels will rescue you. God knows how many days you got. You don't need to worry about it. That's not how it works. You're responsible to take your actions. But you do have to understand this. There are no actions that you're going to take that are going to change the date. Do you understand? It is appointed unto men once to die. And after that the judgment. And that is just the way it is. Thirdly this. The message on the wall. You know the message that God wrote on that wall. Two parts of this message. Is national judgment. 
But there's one part of this message that's personal judgment. God said to Belshazzar himself, Tekel, you, Belshazzar, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Is this your scheme for eternity? That you are going to try really hard to be good. And that at the end, your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds. And somehow God's going to look at that and go, wow, you beat the odds. You are the one that has taken your life and you've been so good that it has outweighed all the bad you've ever done. I was teaching a group of Muslims one time, and that's their basic mentality about eternity. And so there's some guys that worked at the electric company, and they wanted to work on English because they were having to make trips back and forth to the States and uh, for a government job. And so, yeah, I'll teach you English. And so I had a group of guys there, eight or ten of them, smart guys in Africa and West Africa. And so I decided the best place they could learn English was from the Gospel of Mark. You know, I just happened to have that. So we're working through this, you know. And so we, we get to this idea, you know, about how, how to get eternal life. And so they bring it up, you know. Good deeds, that way your bad deeds. Okay, well, let's do this. Let me just get a piece of paper here. So I had like a post-it thing. And I said, let's write this down. We're going to go around the room. And uh, y'all tell me all the good things you've done today. So we... Write down. We got a long list of probably 15 things. And I uh, said, now then, let's go with the bad things. Well, we got to writing, and that list got pretty long. And I just kept asking questions, and yeah, and you know, we got the sins of, of commission and omission. And, um, and I said, now, uh, this is just what you've done in one day. Now let's multiply that. And so we began to do the math. And so the one guy said, finally, we, got the, we were getting these long numbers, you know. And the one guy just said, man, there's no hope, is there? Yeah, that's exactly what, there's no hope. If that's your scheme for eternity, there's no hope. If, if you think you're that good, you are deluded. We need to have a talk. My soul. See, the only way to get that weight of sin off of the scales is to put it upon another. And that's what God has done in Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might have the righteousness of God in him. Do you see? He bore our sins. He carried our griefs. That's what Christ has done on the cross for sinners. But it's only for you. If you hear the call of God on your heart. And you turn and put your faith in Jesus. And what he has done for you on the cross And that he will be the Lord who directs your life as the resurrected king. You see, there's built into each one of us this burning desire to be a Belshazzar. We want to be Lord of our own kingdom. We want to rule life our own way. 
We want to set up our own moral code. We want to have worship our own way. We want to have the last say. We want our opinion to always carry weight with God. We want things to be our own way all the time. We want life to be about us. We want to be the center of everything. We want a statue erected to ourselves that others can go by and admire. That's what we want. That's the human condition. And every good deed that we may ever do is designed to contribute to our own worship. That's how crooked and twisted we are. And what God has done for sinners is that He has given us His Son to take away our sinfulness and give us His righteousness. But you can't continue to be your own God and get that. You can't continue to trust in yourself and get that. You have to give up all your idolatry. You have to give up all of your self-worship. You have to turn your back on that whole way of living. And you have to surrender to Jesus. Receive what he's done for you. And receive him into your life to be Lord over you. Belshazzar has to die. And Christ has to rise in your heart. That's what has to happen in order for you to be accepted on that day before his father. There is no other way. That is the way. So what stands before you today is just simply this fact. God declares to each and every one of us, Tikal, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Flee to Christ. Turn to him and be saved. Be rescued by him. This could be the last 24 hours that you'll ever live. You think you are immortal. Not in this world you're not. You think you're going to be here a lot longer. You're in the prime of life you say. I've got plenty of time. And you have to be reminded again. Your breath is in God's hands. It may be the last night. That you see tonight. You need to turn to Christ while you have time. Let's pray together Father. Thank you. In the name of Jesus for giving us this true, literal story about Daniel and his life. Something that happened. And Lord, while it is sad and grievous to see the demise and the damnation of an individual like Belshazzar. We are also, Lord, by that warned for our own lives. That we cannot live in defiance of you. And in the end somehow come out weighing right in the balance. Lord I ask you in Jesus name that you would encourage your people today. I pray father that you would help them to live for you for the long run like Daniel did. I pray also father for those hearts that have been in defiance of you living life on their own terms. In their own way building their own little kingdom. I pray, God, that they would throw that down today, give it over to the world, let them have it, and turn to Christ in full surrender. Work that in their hearts today, Lord. Only you can do that. Only you can do that. Only you can provide that kind of wisdom. Only you can take a stone-cold heart and melt it and cause it to burn for Christ. So, Lord, I ask that you would do that in people's lives today that need you. 
And Lord, we will give you praise and glory for all that you do for us sinners. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together? If you